looking at uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So 1 of chapter 3, which spoke about what we are. Now we are the children of God. Verse 2 spoke about what we shall be. We shall be like him. Now in the middle of that, what we are and what we shall be, verse 3 speaks about what we should be doing, what we should be doing or how we should be living in these days or the time that God has given to us. Now we must always remember that you know, doctrine comes first and then the experience comes. Our doctrine always demands a duty. If there's no duty, if they are not experiencing the truths of the Bible, the chances are we have not really understood and grasped the doctrines of Scripture. This is why studying biblical doctrine is very, very important. Don't go it backwards. Don't start with an experience and try and form some doctrine out of it. No, no. What the Bible says, that's the doctrine. That's the truth. If this is the truth, then how do we apply it? That is the experience. So John so far has spoken about our position, that we are the children of God. Then we also spoke about the hope that we have, that one day we shall be like him. So these are the two major doctrines, if you were to say, the justification, now God has saved us. He's also speaking about the glorification, we shall be like him. And right now, how should we live? That is the sanctification. That is what is spoken of here. Now, we must remember that believers don't live holy lives to prove that they are children of God. But they live holy lives because they are the children of God. In other words, you know, a holy lifestyle is a natural byproduct of being a child of God. It is not to say if you live a holy life, then you will be you know, a believer. No, no, that is not the works part. You know, it is a question of you know, the works, which is a result of your faith. So this is, how, this is why in this verse 3, he starts with that connecting word, the connecting word and. And we know that everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Now, some translations don't, you know, you know, put that and, it just starts off with everyone. But the and is actually the link between the two of, uh, you know, the earlier two verses. There's a connection, if you were to say, between these two verses. Now, John is not arguing about it. He's just stating this fact. What is the fact? Everyone who has this hope purifies himself, purifies himself. This is the natural this is the natural result. You know, if you are a believer, John is saying that you should be living holy lives. That is putting it in simple terms. So that's how he starts off and says, everyone who is a believer or everyone who has this hope in him. Now, this hope is in the future and that hope comes in because of who we are now. Now are we the children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. So it starts with the who we are now. So this everyone is not a blanket statement for everybody in this world. No, no. 
everyone who has put their hope, everyone who has trusted in Christ, everyone who has been saved and is now looking forward to see the Lord, looking forward to be like him. Sad to say, not all believers fix their eyes on Jesus to wait expectantly for his return. But if you and I have been genuinely saved, then we will also automatically be looking forward for his coming. And in the meantime, the time that we have here on earth, we are living holy lives, ready, preparing, waiting for his coming. So the question we must ask ourselves this evening is, are you ready for his appearing? Are you living for his appearing? If we have this hope, then there's a natural cleansing. There's a natural cleansing that takes place. It's like if somebody says, I'm going to come to your house at a particular time, you know, then you make sure that the place is all ready, isn't it? So when the scripture says he's going to come back again, and we don't know the day or the hour, we have to be ready at any time. So he says, everyone who has this hope in him, it is a present thing. It is not something about the future. It's not if you have this hope in the future, then you know, you will be saved or then you will be pure. No, no. He says, if you are having this hope, in other words, if you are living in the reality of who you are in Christ and looking forward for his coming again, this is the hope that is spoken of. Now, when the world uses the word, word hope, it is rather with a lot of doubt, isn't it? You know? A lot of people would say, I hope this will happen. I hope such and such a thing will happen. I hope such and such person will come along and say this or do that. You know? It is with a lot of you know, doubt attached to it. You know? When the world uses the word, word hope, it is not a certainty word. But in the scriptures, wherever the word is used, you know, it is always used with a confident expectancy. Confident expectancy. It's an opposite of despair. Where hope is lost, the opposite of you know, despair is that hope. So our, as believers, our hope is not in circumstances you know, for a better tomorrow. That is not the hope where people will say, I hope things will get better, <coughs> or at the end of a dark tunnel, there will be light. I hope there will be light. You know? It's not a question of that uncertainty about the future, but our hope is in Christ. Okay? That is the truth. You know? Those who have this hope in him, <laughs> Jesus Christ indeed, is our hope. You know? And if we have this eager expectation of who he is, returning to come back to take us with him, then we are living lives that are pure. Remember in John chapter 14, verse 2 onwards, you know, Jesus said he was returning to heaven to prepare a place for us. Then he added the words in verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He didn't leave us forever. He's coming back for us. And when that happens, we will go to be with him to the place that he has prepared for us. All our hope is fixed on him and his return. That is the hope that we are looking forward for. That is the hope that we are looking forward for. <clears throat> that is why Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, 
calls this sinna as the living hope. Therefore, guard your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the hope. This is something that is sure. It is not a question of, I hope Jesus comes back. No, no, he said he's going to come back. He said he's going to come back. The certainty of who he is, who made that statement, makes that event a reality or a surety. Charles Spurgeon puts it across this way when he says, Oh, what a blessed hope this is, that though we fall asleep, we shall surely wake again. And when we awaken, it will be in the likeness of the great head of the family. And we ourselves shall be heirs of an inheritance in which there will be no sin, no corruption. And that inheritance is kept for us and we are kept for it. So the double meaning, uh, double keeping makes it doubly sure. We are kept for that inheritance and the Lord is keeping that inheritance for us. So here he says, everyone who has this hope, okay, it is in a, a very an affirmative one. It's not speaking about in a, a hope, but he's speaking about this hope or the hope. It is a specific thing. It is a specific thing, not a general one. It is a specific thing. Everyone who has this hope in him or fixed on him. So the hope is not in a circumstance. Hope is not in a situation. The hope is in him. So when you're speaking about a hope that is in him, it's speaking about in a, uh, something that we are banking on, something that we are resting on. It is in a, a well-grounded foundational truth <laughs> that, yes, Jesus is coming back. And he is coming back to <coughs> take us to be with him. So. What you are looking for will determine what you are living for. What you are looking for will determine what you are living for. If you are looking forward for His coming, then you won't live for yourself. You would live for the Lord. If you are looking forward for His coming, you are thinking about eternity. You are living for eternity, living life in, the, in a mindset of eternity. When the scripture says you have placed eternity in our hearts, that there's more to life than this life here on earth, that is the confidence and the hope that God has given to us. Okay, And when the verb that is used here, we have this hope. You know, John is saying it is a, a present hope. It's a continuous hope. It is in a, a, an ongoing in a hope that we have. That yes, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. It's like maybe you know, a countdown that is taking place. Okay, you know, within so many days, this event is going to happen. Now we don't know the time of that hour of his coming, but we know it is coming. And the countdown, if you were to say, has already started. And every one of us realizes that, and we are looking forward for that. That is the hope that grips us to do what. The scripture tells us over here, purifies himself, purifies himself. The word that is used in, in, in Greek for uh, purifies means a word that is uh, freed from all defilements or impurities. Okay, And this was used in a, literally in the Old Testament practices of a sacrifice that was given without blemish. And also it spoke about the ceremonial cleansings and the purifications that were undertaken to purify 
yourself. Okay. So this is a word that was used, purifying yourself in that external aspect of it. Okay. Like the Nazarites, for example, took upon themselves a temporary or a lifelong vow to abstain from wine and all kinds of intoxicating drink, from every defilement, from shaving their head. This was their purification, right? This was something that they did externally. In other words, you know, this word basically denotes a removal of that which disqualifies one for acceptable worship. So this is how the Old Testament was. Anything that would defile, okay, keep away, take it off. That is what purification is. So in the New Testament one, it would be making sure that there will be nothing in our lives that would disqualify us for the price. That is what Paul mentions, isn't it? He keeps his body under control so that after having done all that, you know, after going through whole life, you know, he is not disqualified. We must be individuals who are careful about our lives, looking forward for his coming. Now, if you notice in you know, these three verses, you also have the three tenses of salvation. I'm sure you have been, you are familiar with it, the past tense and a present tense and future tense. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin and we will be saved from the presence of sin. In verse 1, he has spoken about we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Who we are, we are children of God because of what God has done for us and our response to that. Verse 2 is speaking about we shall be like him. That's the glorification that he is speaking about. We shall be freed from the very presence of sin. The sinful nature would have no hold whatsoever. And right now in verse 3, he's speaking about the sanctification part. We are being saved or we are being made holy as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is also interesting, a similar word is used for saints. You know, Saints in the scriptures is speaking about a person who is set apart. So just as much as there were holy utensils that were set apart for worship, which you would not use in everyday life. Similarly, this understanding of purify ourselves means we have been set apart. We have been set apart for God. So yes, you know, people of the world may do different, different things with their time, but God has saved us. He has kept us here for a purpose. We don't do anything and everything that the world does. We are careful about what we do. We are holy people for a holy God. Martin Lloyd-Jones asked this question, why do people fail to do this in practice? If this is the truth, you know, if this is the truth that the scripture is saying, if you're looking forward for his coming, you purify yourself, you prepare yourself. Why don't people do this? Why do they live such substandard lives, you know, thinking that all is well, they are one day going to go to heaven, you know? The answer, he says, it seems to me, is that our belief is defective. If only we really did see ourselves as we are depicted in the New Testament, the problem of conduct will immediately be solved. So the real trouble with most Christian people is not so much in the realm of their conduct and practice as in the realm of their belief. And that is why the church, whenever she puts too much emphasis upon conduct and behavior and ethics, always leads eventually to a state and condition in which Christian people fail most of all in that respect. You know? 
And he says the ultimate way of carrying out the duties and really practicing these things is to have a grasp and understanding of the doctrine that the practice becomes inevitable. Saying in these words, he's saying oftentimes in our Christian lives, in our people and gauge their spirituality on the basis of I don't do this anymore, I'm doing this, I don't do this, I don't do this, this is the duty, I am not supposed to do this. And, uh, and it seems like a burden to them. And as a result, you know, they just go away. This, they're saying this is too much for me. But what he's emphasizing is the reason why people don't hold on and live holy lives is because they have not understood what God has done for them. If you have understood the doctrine, this is why study of doctrine is so very important. People today are not willing to do, you know, biblical studies on doctrine. They are very quick on having experiences, but they don't want to study God's word to understand who God is and what he has done for us in our lives and what he is going to do. And the more we are, our mind is clear, then our heart and our will will be operational from what the mind is dictating. So he says we will purify ourselves even as he is pure, even as he is pure. Christ is our model, is our example for purity. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, you remember he said the one who says he abides in him ought you know, himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. In other words, if we say we are his children, then we should have a resemblance you know, in the family. We should do that which he did, just as. That's the comparison that he uses. We purify ourselves even as he is pure, even as he is pure. If you notice that John does not say just as Christ purifies himself, because Jesus never had to purify himself. So what he's implying over here is as believers, Purification is a gradual process, yes, you know, but that is a part of life. If there's no purification happening, you know, then there's a big question mark whether we are really saved. Okay. Let me close with this illustration. It is said that those who wish to qualify for positions in the elite guard of King Frederick of Prussia were required to measure up to a certain commanding stature. A Christian lady thought so much about this annual measuring day ceremony that when she went to bed one evening, she had a dream in which she imagined there was a day when everyone's growth in grace was similarly computed. An angel sto stood with a tall golden rod in his hand over which you know, was fastened a scroll on which appeared these words, the measure of the stature of the perfect man. And the angel inscribed in a large book all the important statistics as the people came up one at a time in response to the calling of their names. The instant anyone touched the rod, an astounding thing happened. Each shrank or increased in size to his or her true spiritual dimensions. Everyone, including the recording angel, could thus miraculously see what otherwise would have been perceived only by the eye of God. If today were the measuring day, and it may well be that Jesus suddenly returns. Would you be ashamed of your spiritual stature? Being nourished from the time you have come to know Christ, is your soul being measured up you know, to the full measure of the likeness of Christ? That is the standard. We are going towards that. You know, and Christ is the one who is doing his work in us. And how does that happen? 
if we have malnutrition, if we are not feeding on God's word, if we are not eating, we don't grow, isn't it? As simple as that, you know. So if we are not feeding on God's word, not feeding on the living bread, what will happen? We will never reach up to that stature. So ask ourselves this evening, you know, there is that measuring rod. Now remember, that's just a dream that that lady had, but she just, you know, calculated it on the basis of that incident of the measuring stick which the king used to use to find out. The Bible does tell us, isn't it, there's going to come an accounting time, you know. It is appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment, you know. Yes, we are not going to be paying for our sins, you know, but there's only also going to be that reward time. So we should be working on that aspect. That is what he's saying. If we have this hope, if we have this hope, then we are automatically purifying ourselves. That's a natural byproduct. You don't have to put it on your list to say, I, you know, I must purify myself. No, it's a natural byproduct. But a hope that does not purify is a mockery, a delusion, and a snare. A lot of individuals are thinking they are on their way to heaven, but their lives are not showing it whatsoever. And they say they're having a hope, but that hope is always a hope so. If you ask them, do you have assurance of salvation? Are you confident? They may say, I hope I will get to heaven. I hope this will happen. I hope my good deeds will outweigh the bad deeds. That is not biblical Christianity. Our lives must be transformed on the basis of what Christ has done for us, our acceptance of that. And he also has given us his Holy Spirit, the anointing of his Holy Spirit to transform us and change us into his likeness and image. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.